Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The Apostle Paul actually reminds us that that is the case, that the God of this age, he says, who is a reference to Satan, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. So he comes and he, he influences people in a negative fashion toward Christ. You know, people have this great animosity toward Jesus, and yet they don't even really know why. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Isaiah chapters 50 through 51. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So we are picking up in Isaiah chapter 50. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, and we're going to make our way through two chapters. And I want to start in chapter 49, actually, because as I've been mentioning, and I I just want to say it again, Isaiah is the prophet of the Messiah. Now, most people are familiar, well, I don't know about most people, but, you know, most Christians are familiar with Isaiah 53 and the significance of Isaiah 53. And we would commonly refer to that chapter as the chapter on the suffering servant. Now, in these chapters that we've been in here in the 40s, beginning in chapter 42, we get introduced to the servant. And then the climactic moment is really the suffering of that servant spelled out for us in the 53rd chapter. And yet in chapters 49 and 50, there are some really potent and I think important things to consider regarding the servant. So I want to go back and pick up in chapter 49, like I said, read the first six verses, and then I'm going to jump straight into chapter 50. And we're going to connect with the continuation of the servant and the really the the expressions of the servant and in a sense the the lamentation of the servant so that's what we're going to do so in chapter 49 uh, the servant is speaking and says the lord has called me from the womb from the innermost parts of my mother the matrix of my mother he has made mention of my name and He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. And so, of course, we know that, and we we mentioned this previously, that Jesus, his name was given to him at the point where it was announced to Mary that uh, she would conceive a child. And so, as mentioned here, from the matrix of my mother's womb, you made mention of my name, or he made mention of my name. And then verse three, and he said to me, so this is the servant recounting what the Lord said to him, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel is gathered to him. 
for I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says to me, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And so we went over these verses already, but I wanted to use them, as I said, to transition into chapter 50. But again, notice there the reference to my servant Israel. And we talked about how the the context determines whether Israel is the nation of Israel or the man Israel, Jacob. But in this case, it's clear that the context is the embodiment of all that God intended Israel to be in the servant who would be Jesus, the Messiah. And, and we know that for sure because the mission of the servant is to, to restore Israel. So it can't be Israel that's being spoken to because it's, it's a person, it's an individual whose mission is to restore Israel. And so we have, again, the Messiah. But so now... Just jumping over to chapter 50, it goes on to say, thus says the Lord. So thus says Yahweh. This is, of course, the name for God himself, his proper name. And he says, where is the certificate of your mother's divorce, whom I put away, of which of my, or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? For your iniquities you have sold yourselves and for your transgressions, your mother was put away. So Israel, of course, was put away in the sense that Israel was, the, in a figurative sense, the wife of the Lord. But because of that unfaithfulness, the Lord put her away. And that would be a reference to her being sent into captivity. And so, but notice again, I want to emphasize this. The Lord is speaking. Yahweh is speaking. And now listen to what he says in verse 2. He says, why When I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Indeed, with my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness. Their fish rot because there is no water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness. I make sackcloth their covering. So this is the Lord speaking. And, but notice what he says. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there none to answer? So, of course, this is looking in the past tense, but this is, as we look at this whole section here and in the 53rd chapter, we're going to again see that, that all of that is in the past tense. Even though the time it was written by Isaiah, it was still 700 years in the future. So this is where we see how the prophetic element here. And so the Lord now is talking about when he came. Why when I came, was there no man? And so, of course, when Jesus came, it's like John says in um, John chapter 1, verse 10. Remember, it says he came into the world, and though the world was made by him, the world did not know him. And then it says, and he came to his own, and you could put people there. He came to his own people, the Jewish people, but they did not receive him. And so that's really what the Lord is referring to here. 
Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there none to answer? Now, in verse four, listen, as again, the Lord continues to speak, but he says, the Lord God has given me. So this is where you see the plurality within the divine nature. You have the Lord, Yahweh, speaking, but then you also have Yahweh referring to Adonai Elohim, which would be the title. And of course, this is another way to refer to God, not by his proper name, but by more by his title, Adonai, which means Lord. So Yahweh says, the Lord God or Adonai Elohim has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. And so just think about that for a moment. And then we're going to come back and I want to camp on that a little bit. But but again, just let that sink in. This is the, the Lord is saying that the Lord has given to him. It's much like Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemy your footstool. Or the passage in Psalm 45 that's quoted in Hebrews chapter one that speaks of God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. So, you know, your throne, O God, is forever because God, your God. So God's throne is forever because God's God has anointed him with the oil of gladness. So again, all of that to say that the New Testament, of course, brought out the fact that there is, that God is triune. It, it brought it out into the open. Jesus, of course, he was the one, remember, at the end of Matthew's gospel, who says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to everyone, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus comes and he brings out the just the full revelation of the triune nature of God. Last time we looked at another passage that indicated that as well. But I, I just want you to see you know, I mean, there are still people today who, if you have a Jehovah's Witnesses uh, knock on your door, or of course, if you if you encounter a Muslim, they are going to deny that there's a Trinity. They are going to insist that there's no such teaching in the Bible. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses are going to say something like, oh, this originated with the corrupted Catholic Church, but the Bible knows nothing of a Trinity. And then, of course, the Muslim would say, no, Allah is one singular, and they completely reject the idea that God has a son who is equal with the Father. So that's why it's important for us to know that this is what the Bible teaches. The the Trinity, as we know it, or if you want to use the word triunity, it's a difficult thing to get our heads around. I don't know that anybody's ever really been able to fully get their head around it. And sometimes people even use that as a basis for trying to deny it. Uh, I've had Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, say to me, well, it's, it's so confusing. And, and you know, there's a verse in the Bible that says God is not the author of confusion. So since this is confusing and God's not the author of confusion, then that must mean that there's no such thing as a trinity. <laughs> well, um, you know, confusing, I don't think is the right word. I think complex is the right word. But... We don't determine whether a doctrine is true, whether we can understand it fully or not. We determine whether a doctrine is true by what the biblical text says. 
And so, once again, all through these passages, we're seeing this plurality within God's nature. And so, I'm going to pick up in verse 5. So again, here, the Lord God has opened my ear. And now listen to this. This is where it just gets absolutely astounding, really. The Lord God opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Listen, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Oh my goodness, can you believe that? Here is the Lord talking about giving his back to those who smote him and his face to those who plucked out his beard and to those who spit upon him. Now, all you have to do is turn in your New Testament and each one of the Gospels, and you're going to find this very thing here that's written. You're going to find that being fulfilled in Jesus during his, the time of his trial, just before his crucifixion. So in, in Matthew 27, in Mark 15, in Luke 23, and then in John chapter 19, in every one of those gospel accounts, you're going to find references to the scourging of Jesus, which would be, I gave my back to those who smote it, and the spitting. There isn't a reference to the plucking out of the beard, but from Isaiah, this is where we understand that actually the beard of Jesus was plucked out by these uh, tormentors, by these persecutors. But again, think of this. The Lord is saying, I gave my back. And this is all just absolutely astounding to think that God himself would condescend. And again, we mentioned it previously, but Paul lays it out so beautifully in Philippians 2, that he would humble himself and he would become of no reputation. He would take upon himself the form of a servant. He would be found in the likeness of man. And he would humble himself to the point of death even death on the cross. And so here we have 700 years before, we have a description of the things that happened to Jesus as he was on his way to the cross. And so he says in verse seven, for the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint and I know that I will not be ashamed He is near who justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is he who will condemn me? Indeed, they will all grow old like a garment. The moth will eat them up. And so the Lord here is, it's it's an insight into how he strengthened himself during those moments of unimaginable suffering on our behalf. He strengthened himself by reminding himself, the Lord God will help me. I will not be disgraced. And the one who justifies me is near. Who will contend with me? And Jesus, this is how he really sustained himself through that time of suffering. And when he says here, I have set my face like a flint. It's interesting because in in the gospels, and I think it might be exclusively in Luke, Luke tells us that when he came to Samaria, 
the Samaritans did not receive him. And this is the reason why, because his face was set toward Jerusalem. So it was that determination. And, you know, Flint is, is that extremely hard, hard stone. And so when he says right here that I have set my face like Flint, he's talking about that absolute determination to do the will of God, to obey God's call upon him to give his life. But like I said, he's encouraging himself, just reminding himself of the promises of God and that ultimately that all of those who oppose him, all of his adversaries, they will all grow old like a garment and a moth will eat them up. Do you know Jesus had adversaries in his day? They're the ones who put him on the cross. They're the ones who dogged his trail, so to speak, all the way through his public ministry, threatened him and so forth. But Jesus has many enemies today as well. You don't have to look far to find people who are the enemies of Christ. And and today, you would think so many centuries afterward, you know, Jesus hasn't been here in, in the literal physical sense for 2,000 years, but he's here through his people and he's here by his spirit. And there's still that antagonistic, hostile spirit within the breast of, of many people toward Christ. And it's sort of a, it's a strange thing. It, it in a sense, it shows us the, the influence of the devil uh, over people. And the Apostle Paul actually reminds us that that is the case, that the God of this age, he says, who is a reference to Satan, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. So he comes and he, he influences people in a negative fashion toward Christ. You know, people have this great animosity toward Jesus, and yet they don't even really know why. And, and if you were to be able to just have a conversation and you kind of just dig down and ask them, you know, why, why do you feel this way about Jesus? Uh, why don't you feel this way about maybe another religious leader? Or, uh, you know, how come there's this, just this strange uh, hostility that comes out from people toward Christ? Well, that is that, that's that, that work of Satan. It's that spirit of antichrist. And like I'm saying, that's, it's alive and well in the world today, and you can find it everywhere. I mean, you can find it with a you know, homeless guy on the street um, who's burned out on, on drugs and alcohol. Uh, you can find it in people sitting in the highest positions of power in the world. They've got basically the identical attitude toward Christ. They have an animosity toward him and uh, a hatred for him and a desire to rid the world of his name. And yet that will never happen. They, those who oppose him, they will all grow old like a garment and they will be eaten just like a moth eats a garment. Um, we're not as familiar with that today in our world as they were in biblical times, but it's a picture of you know something that is just being consumed. That is the destiny of those who resist and oppose Jesus the Lord's servant who set his face like flint to accomplish the purpose of God to save the world, to accomplish the purpose of God to redeem mankind back to God. Now, I want to back up to verse, verse four again. And notice what the Lord is saying here. The Lord Jesus, Yahweh here is speaking. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. 
And it's a beautiful picture here of how Jesus himself, and yet this is also true for the servants of the Lord because he puts his words in our mouths and enables us to do the same thing. But, you know, Jesus came and he spoke a word in season to those who are weary. And the idea of a word in season is he spoke the right word. He spoke the right word at the right moment that would bring that help and that hope and that refreshing and, and, you know, whatever was needed at the time. But he says that the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. And, you know, there again, this is true, not just for Jesus, but this is true for the Lord's people. And the Lord wants to give us the tongue of the learned. He wants to teach us about himself and thank God he gave us the scriptures so we can learn about him. But then he also gives us the ability by his spirit to speak a word to those who are weary. And I can't tell you how many times, and you you probably have had the experience yourself, where there's just been a word spoken. It was like the proverb said, um, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Now, apples of gold and pictures and silver, that, that's obviously, you know, like, yes, that is, that is right. And, and that's the idea there, that this, a word fitly spoken, a word that comes to us from the Lord, oh, it's so refreshing. It's so life-giving. It's so strengthening. And, and I, I just want to encourage you, you know, maybe, maybe you are just burdened down by a lot of different things. And maybe you are feeling weary. And and this is where the Lord would just want to speak a word to you. And, you know, tomorrow morning when you get up and you open your Bible, be looking for that word. Be looking for the Lord to speak to you. And and I've been having these days, you know, just where just a, a word or two, just here or there, a sentence, a passage, something, the Lord will just speak it to me. And it, it alleviates that heaviness that I, I sometimes feel. It's that, it's that word in season that God brings. And that's what Jesus did. And remember, the passage that comes to mind most clearly as I think about this is just that great word in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. And, you know, there it's, it's just one of the greatest texts. It's one of the most encouraging and comforting words. It's something that I remember as a, brand new Christian, reading those words and being so comforted by them. But what does it say? It says, Jesus is speaking and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and weighed down and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am meek and I'm humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. And then he says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And wow, think about that. He says, you know, come to me and learn from me and I will give you rest. And, and that's really what is being spoken of here. The, the father gave him that tongue of the learned that he might speak that word in season. And the Holy Spirit gives that to us today as well. Thank God for that.
For the month of August, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled 15 New Testament Words of Life, a New Testament Theology for Real Life by Dr. Nijay Gupta. How can we understand some of the most important concepts in the Bible? And how can those concepts make a practical impact on our lives? In his book, 15 New Testament Words of Life, Dr. Nijay Gupta traces 15 words through the Bible that make an impact on how we live the Christian life. Words like righteousness, faith, and holiness. You'll learn their Old Testament background, discover their relevance during New Testament times, make connections with other passages in the Bible, and realize their practical impact for living life today. This book will help to bring theology to life. If you want to see how some of the most important theological themes in the Bible can come to life for you, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order 15 New Testament Words of Life, a New Testament Theology for Real Life by Dr. Nijay Gupta. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.